Welcome to Cannabis Capital, the podcast. Blunt truths about the cannabis economy with your hosts, Ross O'Brien and Maggie Kelly. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Capital, the podcast. I'm your host, Ross O'Brien, venture capitalist and author of the book, Cannabis Capital, How to Get Your Business Funded in the Cannabis Economy. And as always, I'm here with my esteemed colleague and co-host, Maggie Kelly. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Ross. So happy to be with you and our listeners today. On this podcast, we interview remarkable founders and influential investors who speak the language of business and finance. If you're new to the startup world, you may find yourself Googling how to raise capital or what is EBITDA. The business world is nuanced with a language of its own, and we want to arm you with the knowledge to succeed. If you listened to our podcaster's interview with Dan Humiston, you would have learned that higher education is where Ross and I met. We taught and coached aspiring entrepreneurs and helped build a startup hub that is thriving to this day. Through our EduPod series, Ross and I will take a page from our days in higher ed and dig into some specific topics related to entrepreneurship and investment in the cannabis economy. Are you ready, Ross? Oh, Maggie, you know me. I'm always ready for the spotlight. But what was this? An edupod? An edupod. I, I love it. With it. Feeling pretty clever. Okay, listeners, stay tuned for Cannabis Capital, the podcast. Raising Capital, Part 1, The Beginner's Guide. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the first in our educational series that Maggie has christened the EduPods. Maggie and I are very excited to get started to share some really important basics and fundamentals on how to raise capital today. So we're kicking off with this because this is one of the most important and frequently asked questions by entrepreneurs. How do I raise money? And most often, this question can come from a place of inexperience. But before you get to the how do I raise money question, there's a number of other things we need to ask ourselves. Like, why am I raising capital? Or am I ready to raise capital? Exactly, Maggie. Suitability for raising capital is one of the most important places to start. So raising venture capital in any market has a very low probability of success. Statistically, the ratio stands that less than one in 300 companies that present to venture investors secure investment. However, all 300 of those companies or the 299 that don't raise capital still think they're good investment opportunities. So why is there this disconnect? And we find this ratio to be accurate within our own firm as well. So while venture capital investment continues to be bullish, even amongst a global pandemic, Uncertainty in some markets will impact this ratio even for the worse. So how do you prepare? Well, it starts with knowing the basics. As with anything, there are best practices and fundamentals that are consistent in a successfully managed financing plan. I go into a lot of detail of these in my book, Cannabis Capital. The impetus for writing the book was largely on providing these resources to entrepreneurs so that they can be more successful at exactly this process. If you follow the fundamentals, we believe that you can increase the probability of successfully raising the capital that you need. Now, many entrepreneurs and investors in the cannabis economy, not everyone, but some act as though the cannabis space somehow gives them a free pass on the rules of business. And this is completely false. Now, if anything, we've learned that cannapreneurs and canna investors 
need to hold themselves to an even higher standard. So let's begin with some timely tactics and help you get along that path of raising the capital that you need. So Ross, if we're getting started here, we always like to start with why. When we're debating any topic, when we're brainstorming, we always start with our why. So let's begin there. Why are you raising money? Or why is an entrepreneur raising money? You're so right, Maggie. This is exactly where it begins, is asking the question, why? What is the purpose? I'm sure most of our listeners have already read Simon Sinek's excellent book, Start With Why. And let's use that and start there. Raising capital is one of the hardest and most stressful things that a founder needs to do as they launch their business. There's always a sense of urgency when raising capital. and By nature, the process can feel frenetic especially when companies are under the threat of losing revenues or market share or in some stage of disruption. Remember, though, that investment capital is not a good substitute for missing sales targets. Many companies raise money. Their why is because they're not achieving their sales projections. When you miss revenue targets, this frames any financing as rescue capital for a distressed business. And investors don't award high valuations to distressed companies. Revenue is one of the core metrics used to value any business. This has the compounding effect of lowering any valuation you might consider reasonable and also, therefore, increasing the cost of the equity that you're selling. So you need to have a solid understanding of what the investment is that you need. It's always surprising to us to see how many companies don't have a specific ask for an investment or just use very high-level categories. A well-thought-out use of proceeds should identify very specifically what your cash needs are. This is your why. Why am I raising capital? Do I have a line of sight to growth? Am I building more value in the business? Can I do more faster, stronger if I secure this outside capital to help me scale the business? It is more important than ever to have a clear plan on how the investment will be used and where it gets the company. What is that next milestone, those next set of plateaus and understanding how that translates to shareholder value. A strong correlation to what you can expect to happen in your market and what resources are needed to succeed in the near and medium term is the basis of all the investment discussions that are happening today. So listeners, step one, start with why am I raising capital? Find your why. The next question to ask yourself, is my company ready for investment? Oh, Maggie, this is the million-dollar, billion-dollar question, and one of the most challenging for a founder to ask themselves. It's hard to step outside of your own viewpoint and assess from an outside perspective if your company is ready and justifies managing external capital. Investors will be looking to understand certain key elements of your business to evaluate your future prospects for success. For us, this always starts with the management team. As an investor, we look for a team that can execute. Execution over ideation, always. I want to know who makes up the management team. Have they been successful in the past? What does each member bring to the table? What is the team doing to navigate through new threats and disruptions? Because they're sure to happen. Before talking with any investors, you should assess your company and bring together your core advisors and help you do the same. A great process is to help them scrutinize your plans before talking to anybody else. I call this friendly fire. By the time you meet with investors, there shouldn't be any unforeseen questions that will surprise you. To help you with your internal analysis and further understand the areas critical to an investor, we've provided an assessment worksheet to review and score your areas of competency and readiness. To access this worksheet, 
please visit cannabiscapitalpodcast.com slash resources. Thanks, Maggie. I hope everybody takes advantage of that. And look, this brings us to the resource conversation, right? As a practical matter, raising capital means that you have to not only run a professional process, but execute within your business at the highest possible level during that time. So it's a full-time job. It's a full-time job for the founder, for advisors, and a second full-time job because you're also running the business that you started. So sourcing the right investors alone is a full-time commitment. Well, not only that, but building relationships with those investors is a full-time commitment. Due diligence is a full-time commitment. And if you don't have the bandwidth for this process and are not able to sustain this massive undertaking, you could end up with a struggling company that's worse off because you halfway went into a process. So proceed with caution and full awareness. Awareness. That's a great segue to your next point, which is to maintain awareness and manage expectations. Yeah, managing expectations can really help calm the phoreticness of seeking investment. I mean, all too often entrepreneurs that believe that if they can just get in front of that one perfect investor that will see everything the way they do, that they'll be just fine. They can just convince that one person they will absolutely make an investment. However, this is really short-sighted and doesn't take into consideration all of the, the, the signals that you'll be getting from other investors that you're talking to who decline the investment, as we've said before. But also, it's not about trying to convince investors to see your view of the world. It's up to you to understand their view of the world and show them how your business opportunity fits that. And this can be a long process and take months or even years of relationship building and doing the hard work to present all the facts to the investors such that they can make an informed investment decision. Even in the best of times, distance, time, space, they're never good for a sales process or closing business deals. And while we're growing accustomed to fewer in-person meetings, it's incumbent upon the founder to keep stoking the embers and keep the fires burning. So managing expectations is not only about being realistic about outcomes, but the results of those outcomes. Exactly. And realistic about what those results will be. Most investors are going to tell you no. You have to be prepared and have thick skins. Take a lot of no's. Don't be afraid to get a no and be prepared to learn from it and move on. So this reminds me of our episode. I believe it's episode number two. It's with Peichen Chang, co-founder and CEO of T-Check. Listeners, if you haven't heard that episode, please go back and listen to it. His outlook on declines is the absolute right way to process a no. Oh, Maggie, you read my mind. I love Peichen's responses and how he frames this whole question. When he received a no, he would always ask himself and his team, what can I do better? Is this the best outcome? You know, they said no, but maybe I can keep this relationship warm. Could they one day be an investor and turn it into a yes? You know, that that type of thinking epitomizes the types of founders that we like to work with. And listeners do go check out his episode. So in summary, managing expectations by anticipating declines and having a plan to professionally handle those is a fundamental element of raising capital. Rost, we touched base on relationship building, which leads nicely into knowing your investor market. Venture capital is obviously our space, but that's not always the best fit for a startup. So can you go through the stages of a company and the types of investment available and educate our listeners on that aspect of raising capital? Yeah, I think this is one of the most important raising capital fundamentals to understand, which is the types of capital that are available 
the life cycle of the companies and which types of capital investment are appropriate for businesses at those life cycle stages. So for example, seed stage, early stage, that tends to be friends and family financing. Early stage, mid-stage, series A, now you're starting to talk to angel investors, a different type of investor. Moving on to series A, series B, you get into venture capital, which is a specific type of investing. And then on to hyper growth, growth phases, exits phases, you get into private equity, public markets and debt, et cetera. So let's start with the first group, which is friends and family. And as the name indicates, these are your close contacts that'll want to see you succeed. But these relationships are likely not going to really scrutinize your business plan at the same level that other investors will. They just really want to see you be successful. Moving on to angel investors, similar to friends and family in that they're writing checks themselves. They're taking their own personal capital risk, but they're a lot more sophisticated in their approach. Many cases, they'll have their own investment strategy based upon their expertise and special interests. Well, angels typically invest smaller amounts than a VC would, it's important to remember that they are still investing their own capital and expect the same level of professional investor relations and communications and typically look for very similar terms. They'll expect a return and in some cases be very hands-on. Now, when you get to the later seed stages, Series A, Series B, this is when you're typically in a go-to-market stage or ready to expand the company where you really are running up against the hurdle that more capital is the impediment to growth. This is when venture capitalists like to step in. Just like the one in 300 ratio of success, venture capitalists also have a ratio of success and many investments fail. It's a very risky form of investment. Most private companies and early stage companies fail. But if you get it right, it has the potential to provide significant outcomes. And these types of investors tend to be hyper-specific in their investment strategies and are notoriously discerning of their investment decisions. There's other investors also in the market, family offices, high net worth individuals. But I would say if you're able to chin the bar and meet the due diligence and scrutiny of a venture capitalist, you will meet the criteria of all of the other groups of investors that will be available to you at an early stage. Okay, so that was a lot of information. Listeners, that general breakdown will also be included on our website. Ross, as we wrap up this episode, what's the final fundamental you'd like to share with our listeners who may be embarking on their capital raise? Oh, that's great, Maggie. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. In a world where in-person communication is becoming more rare than it was before, having a general awareness of your communication style and how you're perceived is really critical. This goes back to the suggestion of friendly fire and trying out some things internally first before you go out to speak to investors. What you really want is any investor you speak to, to believe that you are easy to communicate with, you communicate well, and that you're receptive to feedback. Doesn't mean that you always have to agree, but you should be open to hearing the hard stuff and putting that into corrective action. Raising capital is not about convincing an investor your view is right, as I had said, but it's understanding their perspectives and show you how your business fits into their worldview. This goes for pre and post investment. If I make an investment and then I find you unresponsive to feedback, difficult to work with, do you think I'll participate in the next round? It's probably unlikely. And the lack of in-person meetings today means that nonverbal cues can be missed. So it's very easy to come across as defensive or worse, uncoachable. Demonstrating a know-it-all attitude is a major turnoff investors. So you have to strike that balance between 
being ambitious, being focused, and convincing investors that you will be the right steward of capital and the right person and team to run the business with showing some humility in the process. Well, thank you, Ross. That's a lot for our listeners to unpack, as we mentioned, but it's a great start for our educational series. To recap this episode, Raising Capital Part 1. Step 1, start with your why. Why are you raising capital? And complete an honest assessment of your company and your management team's readiness to raise capital. A worksheet to get you started can be found on our website, CannabisCapitalPodcast.com. Step 2, Ask yourself if you have the time it takes to raise capital. It's a full-time commitment. Can your company and your management team continue to excel while you're fundraising? Step three, manage expectations. The right relationships take time to build and declines are likely to be many. Mentally prepare yourself for all possible outcomes. Step four, know your investor market. Don't waste time approaching the wrong investor. Do your research, know what you need, and who to ask. Step five, your communication style says a lot about you. Knowledgeable, high-achieving, coachable founders separate themselves from the crowd. In the coming weeks, be on the lookout for Raising Capital Part 2, where we explore the diligence process and what to expect. In the meantime, we'll keep delivering you interviews with movers and shakers of the cannabis economy on Cannabis Capital, the podcast. Goodbye, Ross. Uh, Goodbye, Maggie. Hey, before we go, what does frenetic mean? It's how I describe you to people. (laughs) What a great edupod. I love it. Uncontrollable movement and energy. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.